Amen. If you have your Bibles, I want you to take those and open them to Mark chapter 5. We're continuing our series over all, not all. I thought Jared had fallen down. Uh, he didn't, thankfully, because I can't lead that last song. Uh, okay, Mark chapter 5 is where we are. In Mark chapter 4, we last week, we looked at where Jesus dealt with a storm. And if you'll remember, uh, he's asleep in the boat because that's what carpenters should do on boats. While he's asleep in the boat, they're going to the other side. Storm comes up. The disciples get confused because Jesus said, let's go to the other side. And as they go to the other side, it seems as if that mission is going to be thwarted. However, we know because we get to see the entirety of the story that they get to the other side. What a fantastic thing that Jesus would step out on the edge of the boat, calm the storm, and they just keep moving. And we're thinking about the other side. So the disciples are on their way to the other side. And it's not exactly what they wanted it to be. Whenever I think about the other side in my own life, the first thing that comes to mind is something awesome. When you're going through something difficult, we know that there is another side. And on the other side of this, it's going to be better. It's going to seem better. It's going to feel better. In this life, you think, if I just get through this, everything will be okay. If you've ever felt that, could you just acknowledge that by raising your hand? Okay, we're going through a difficult season. And if I get to the other side of this difficult season, I'm going to make it. I'm going to be able to breathe deep. In my mind's eye, the other side is fantastic. You have brisket for every meal, and the vegetables that you eat are pizza and hot wings. You, you can take a nap and wake up with abs. All the Diet Mountain Dew that I drink is not going to turn my insides into the plastic that you guys make it work. When I get to the other side, everything will be better. But in actuality, the other side, at times, is going to seem just as difficult, if not more difficult, than what we happen to be going through in this moment. Because the life of this world is full of many troubles, and as we deal with these many troubles, we take heart that Jesus has overcome the world. But that does not make the other side any less difficult. When we get to the other side, the disciples in this passage, on the other side, they see that the situation is bad. So go, go with me. We'll, we'll read Mark chapter 5. I'll read it aloud. You read it not aloud. They came to the other side of the sea, to the region of the Gerasenes. As soon as he got out of the boat, a man with an unclean spirit, he came out of the tomb and he met him. He, he lived in the tomb. And no one was able to restrain him anymore, not even with a chain, because he often had been bound with shackles. And chains, but had torn the chains apart and he had smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue this man night and day among the tombs and on the mountains. He was always crying out and he was cutting himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and he knelt down before him. And he cried out with a loud voice, What do you have to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you before God, don't torment me. For he had told him, Come out of this man, you unclean spirit. What is your name? He asked him. My name is Legion. And he answered him, Because we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the region. A large herd of pigs was there feeding on the hillside. And the demons begged him, send us to the pigs so that we may enter them. So he gave them permission and the unclean spirits came out and they entered the pigs. 
the herd of about 2,000 rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned there. The men who tended them ran off and reported it in the town and the countryside, and people went to see what had happened. They came to Jesus, and Jesus saw the man who had been demon-possessed, but he was sitting there, and he was dressed, and he was in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had been who had seen it, described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told him about the pigs. Then he began to beg him to leave the region. They began to beg Jesus to leave the region. And as he was getting in the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged him earnestly that he might remain with him. Jesus did not let him, but told him, I want you to go home to your own people and report to them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So he went and he began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And they were all amazed. So I'm going to give you... A, look, this is a messy story. And I'm going to give you a clean outline to a messy story. And then we're going to work through it together. So here it is, just from the beginning. The first thing we see in verses 5, 1 through 5, if you're a note taker, Jesus sees sin. Jesus sees sin. Secondly, we see that Jesus saves 5, verses 6 through 13. In 14 through 16, we see exactly how Jesus shapes, 14 through 16. And in 17 through 20, we see Jesus sins. One more time, for those of you in the back, for social distancing purposes. 5, 1 through 5, Jesus sees sin. Secondly, Jesus saves in 6 through 13. In 14 through 16, Jesus shapes. And in 17 through 20, Jesus sins. So we're reading this story, and the first thing that we see is that Jesus sees sin. The, the passage says, They came to the other side of the sea, to the region of the Gerasenes. This should let us know that they are in an area that is honestly, based upon who you're reading and who the interpreter is, it's one of two things. It's either a group of Jewish people who have rebelled against Judaism. We can believe that in a sense because uh, they're pig farmers. And Jewish people who are devout have nothing to do with pigs. That is a possibility, but the greater possibility is that the other side is a place where there are uh, Gentiles. If you are not familiar with Bible terminology, Gentiles are us for the most part. I don't know your, your background. I've not done your DNA check. But most of us are, are Gentiles, and we were the people who... According to John, Jesus did not come to, but we trusted him. We, he offered us faith in him. It's a really fantastic thing that we see. They came to the other side. These pigs are there. And as they are arriving, the disciples are very much like us because they've gotten to the other side, and the other side is not what they expected it to be. They look around and they would notice various things that were there. You would notice the pigs. You would hear the pigs because pigs oink. And as these pigs were oinking, as much as pigs oinking means a lot to me because that means that barbecue is on its way. For a Jewish man, you hear the pigs oinking and your heart begins to, we're not supposed to be here. That is something that is unclean. On top of the uncleanliness of the pigs oinking, you can look to the distance and you see that there are graves that are there. The, the mountainous region that we look at in this passage, it, it points out that there are, you can see black holes where people would bury bodies. So we have a double unclean. 
Uh, and now we have gone to a triple unclean when you have a demon-possessed man that is there. This is a place that you are not supposed to be. We're following Jesus, and Jesus has taken us through one storm, an actual storm, and now we're in what seems to be a spiritual storm of uncleanliness. And we've not even gotten to the part where the horror movie starts yet. Because make no bones about it. See what I did there? Make no bones about it. Scary story. I remember being a child and I was always afraid of things. And when I say things, I mean everything. But my, my brother would turn horror movies on in, in our house when our parents weren't around or when my dad made the poor decision of letting him watch horror movies in our home. And I would just not go in the room where those things were playing. I walked through a horror movie a little bit last weekend. Hope and I, we had some friends in town and we wanted to show them everything that Lake Jackson has to offer. It was a quick trip, and as we went around, I'm kidding, I love this place. Uh, when, when I first moved here, I had a conversation with Melissa Kerr, and I said, so is this greater Houston? She said, it's really lesser Houston, but I don't believe that. I love it here, and, and <laughs> it's a good joke. I'm giving her credit. But as we're uh, spending time with our friends last week, we'd eaten brisket, and we uh, were on our way to a, uh, just to look around, and we wanted to see some... Well, my wife, she just took over the tour. And I'm driving, actually she's driving, and I'm in a, another van with my friend behind her, and we're driving to what looks like swampland and marsh. And my kids have these bags of marshmallows, because we're b bad people. And we pull up in, on this driveway that's nothing but dirt, and we stop at this hole, and there's water there. And Shepherd says, roll the window down. What do you mean, roll the window down? And when we roll the window down, he chunks out a marshmallow, and this thing happens. Crawls out of the water. Now that thing's about seven feet long, uh, give or take. But I felt safe because I was in a minivan that could go 46 miles an hour. When we drove away, in the minivan, my wife takes us to another place, to this observatory, if you will. And when we pull up, uh, we park the, the minivans again, but we're not in the minivans anymore. We step out of the minivans, and they start walking me toward a bridge. And when I walk toward the bridge, we're walking across, cocoon, 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 because that's what I sound like. And they're all having conversations. It's me, my wife, her, our, our friends, and, and my four children and their three children. You know, just enough people for me to outrun. And we, we look over the edge of the bridge, and there sits this thing. Now, you can't tell, but the head on this one was about half the length of the other one. And my kids are having a conversation with it. And I'm not having a conversation. I'm having a conversation with the Lord Jesus. <laughs> because these are modern day dinosaurs. That's what they are. That's what Coyote Peterson taught me. And while we're standing there, someone has to lead the escape. Now I've been judged by my wife and children for being the one who walked away. But no one else was moving. Because no one else realized that's an alligator. And I'm walking away because this is something you see in a scary movie, but it's right there in my face. And you people who said, oh yeah, y'all got problems. 
Jesus rolls up with the disciples and as he rolls up with the disciples to this place where they're not supposed to be, they begin to look around and there comes this situation, there is this situation where a man with an unclean spirit comes toward them. You're not supposed to be here. That's what you feel if you're disciples. You hear the pigs, oink. You see the dead, the tombs. You're not supposed to be here. It reminds me of the scene from the Lion King movie that we've watched 447 times where Mufasa is explaining that he is the king over everywhere the light touches. And Simba says, well, what about that shadowy place? And Mufasa says, that's beyond our borders. You must never go there, Simba. And here these disciples who've decided to latch themselves to Jesus have rolled up in a place. Jesus, you're supposed to be Lord of the Jews, leading a revolution against Rome. You're supposed to be delivering us as a people. But right here, we're not supposed to be. But here's the thing about Jesus that we don't need to miss. Jesus does not come to make bad places a little better. When Jesus shows up, dark places light up and dead places become alive. When Jesus shows up, death and hell, they flee. As Abraham Cooper, Abraham Cooper says, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, this is mine. There is nowhere Jesus goes where he is not supposed to be. There is nothing that is going to overthrow Jesus. Now, let's be careful whenever we begin to talk about things like like demons, we don't want to overemphasize them. Billy Graham says this, if we concentrate mainly on Satan, we'll become either overly fearful or overly fascinated. And both of those things are wrong. C.S. Lewis, who wrote those Narnia movies, said this, there are two equal and opposite errors into which humanity can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both of these errors. Jesus rolls up. This man lives in the tomb. He lives in the tomb and no one was able to restrain him anymore. Not even with a chain, the Bible says, because he often had been bound with shackles and chains. But he'd torn the chains apart and he'd smashed the shackles. This is a person that you do not want to deal with. This person is overwhelming. This person is powerful. This is a person who has superhuman strength, but it has completely human despair. He is walking through difficulties and struggles, and he has been left alone. He is naked. He is bound. He is isolated. He is shouting things that don't make sense to anyone. This is a person that we need to remove ourselves from. The disciples would think to themselves, I don't want to be anywhere near him. But what we cannot miss is this. We're having a conversation about humanity. And this man is someone's son. This man is someone's grandson. He's maybe someone's husband. What if he's someone's dad? And he's been left there alone. And here is how he is dealing with his isolation. He, no one's strong enough to subdue him. They keep chaining him up. He keeps breaking free from the chains. And night and day among the tombs, he's screaming and he's yelling. And it says that he's cutting himself with stones. He's just trying to distract himself from his pain. This is miserable. I don't want to be here. Jesus sees this sin. The man runs up to Jesus. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran. 
And at this point, everyone in this room, all of us who are people who look at a passage like this, as we look at the idea of what Jesus is about to do, that he's about to save this man, we know the other side of the story. I'm not filling in details for you. I actually read it to begin with. But if you're here at this point and you're a disciple who is sloshing in a place where you don't feel like you're supposed to be, who is completely uncomfortable with the fact that you're there, in your mind you think it is on. It's on like chicken bone. Or it's on like Donkey Kong. I don't know what your preferred phrase is. Donkey Kong. If you're a Donkey Kong person, raise your hand. All right, if you're a chicken bone person, raise your hand. If you wonder why they let me talk, raise your... I'm kidding. <laughs> we are talking darkness versus light. We are talking hell versus heaven. We are about to have this great battle, a prequel of what is to come for all of eternity. Right? I mean, that's what happens when good runs into evil. You've got the Jedi and the Sith, good and evil. We always see this balance in everything. Everything that we watch. You have Death Eaters. You have the Order. You have good versus evil, and we don't know the end of the story, right? That's not this story. This man comes bounding toward them, something between an animal and a human running on all fours, still squealing and making these horrific noises. But when he gets to Jesus, he stands straight up. What would you have me do? Jesus, Son of the Most High God. I love this because last week you have the disciples, these men who are following Jesus in the boat with Jesus, going across the water with Jesus. And when Jesus calms the storm, they say, who is this guy? But you have a devil of hell running up to Jesus. And he knows exactly who he is. We're all one bad reading of a book about Revelation from heresy. Whenever we think about this idea of good versus evil, bad versus good, whenever we consider the idea of the war that is going to be waged, we see ourselves suiting up. We see ourselves getting a few blows in on some big demon or some other big demon or Wormwood or one of them. We have this idea that Jesus is going to ride in on a white horse and there's going to be this overwhelming battle where... Man, at the end, we just look around and there are all these casualties. That's not the story that's here. And that's not the story at the end. For every one of us who have this vision of ourselves as members of the Lord's army, for whatever that is and whatever that means, I just need you to know, I'm not sure how you're going to fight a demon when you can't quit Googling things on your phone. I don't know how you're going to do battle with a demon when you can't be kind to your spouse. I don't know how I'm going to do battle with a demon when I really struggle to even disciple my kids. We don't have a commander. We have a deliverer. We don't fight a battle. We get to stand in victory of a battle that's already been won. 
this demon is talking to Jesus. Now, look, let's not disqualify what's just been said. I'm not telling you that you should keep Googling things because you shouldn't. But you need to stand in victory and not be fighting for it. It's already been won. I'm not saying for those of us who are struggling with the way that we talk to our spouse that you need just to say whatever because the battle's been won. You live like the battle's been won. I'm not telling myself or I'm not telling any of you that you need to ignore discipling your children. You should disciple your children in the direction of the fact that the battle has been won. We live as people who've won and quit living as people who are wondering if we'll win. Jesus, Son of the Most High God, I beg you, do not torment. I don't know what he thinks Jesus is going to do. Start poking him and stuff. Come out, man. Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. What is your name? Legion. It probably didn't sound like that because I sound like a lady ordering a quesadilla at Taco Bell. Legion. <laughs> because we're many. Now, we're in Gentile territory. But we're not in Roman territory. But Romans kind of had a a shadow over everything. And when he says legion, he is more than likely referencing a Roman army because a Roman army was made up of four to 6,000 soldiers and then some, foot, then some horses. And He's making a spiritual, or rather a political reference. That's happening right here. Legion for we're many. Friends, political battles... They are spiritual battles. Every political battle is a spiritual battle. It reminds me of what takes place in the book of Joshua, chapter 5, when, when the, Joshua runs up to Jesus, and, or the commander of the army of the Lord, rather, and when he gets to the commander of the army of the Lord, he's got his sword drawn like he's going to do something with this supernatural figure. He says, whose side are you on? And the commander of the army of the Lord, which is a picture of Jesus, says, no. I'm not on any... I'm on my side. And lots of us right now are waging wars where we're saying that this side is right and this side is wrong. There's one side that's right, and that's Jesus. He's right. And all the things that the politics are saying to us right now, and they say lots of things. I'm not telling you to be uneducated. You should be overly educated. Because the people of God should lead in faith and wisdom, and we should be seeking after Jesus to give us direction as we make decisions. But as we are doing these things, we need to realize that there is a war being waged and there's an attempt to say to every one of us that this is right and this is wrong and there is something spiritual that is taking place that underlies all of it. We are in a spiritual battle at all times. And when we think that everyone is a moron or a tyrant or a lemming or whatever word you choose that's walking off a cliff, cliff we have disassociated ourselves from the actual war that's being fought. Because every time that we are ugly and mean and unchristlike and we're not compassionate, we're not kind, do you know whose side you're on? You're living as someone who operates on the side of the enemy, regardless of where you stand politically. Live like you follow Jesus. Live like you belong to a kingdom and you're not 
in this weird allegiance to some political system. We're called to more. Compassion, kindness, gentleness, patience, self-control. We're called to those things. We're, we're, we're called to things that, that say that we believe that it, even if I have the voice just of, of clanging symbols, like if I don't have love, I don't have anything. What are we seeking after in this? In this battle, he begged him earnestly not to send him out of the region. And I don't know how this is any better. And I've read no commentary that gives me any understanding as to how it would be better. But there's this large herd of pigs that's standing there. Economic for the people of that region. They're about to see something supernatural spiritually take place, but it's going to affect them economically. And they choose economics. I mean, everybody else, that's what they do. A large herd of pigs was there, and they were feeding on the hillside. The demons begged him, send us to the pigs so that we may enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out, and they entered the pigs. The herd of about 2,000 rushed down the steep bank into the sea, and they drowned there. Jesus saves this man. He delivers this man, and in so doing, it does something drastic to that region. But Jesus is shaping this man. He's making this man into something different. He's doing a unique work and he's doing a continued unique work. This man's going to begin to seek after things, going to want different things. The men who tended them ran off and reported it to the town and the countryside. And the people went to see what had happened. And what had happened was, when they come out, they notice that all of their pigs, where they make all of their money, those are gone. Those are gone. They came to Jesus and saw the man who had been demon-possessed. But that man wasn't demon-possessed anymore. He was sitting there, he was dressed, and then he was in his right mind. And they were afraid. Do you see a recurring theme of this story? Last week, we have Jesus on the boat, and when he calms a storm, which makes things better, they're afraid. Here, these people have had a man who was demon-possessed that they had to continually shackle and chain and bond in caves. And now he's no longer any of those things. And they're afraid. Why are they afraid? Because this changes things. They have to decide, what am I going to do? Because this just cost our entire community everything. Is this deliverer worth it? Is he, is he worth the cost? Is he worth everything that we just lost? And I wonder in a world where we as God's people are looking around How much are we really going to follow Jesus when it begins to affect us financially? Is this supernatural deliverer worth our commitment if it means our every day is affected? Verse 16. Now I'm just meddling. Let's keep going. Those who had seen it, described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told him about the pigs. 
So you've got Jesus who's just delivered this community from the torture of this man. You've got this community who's just had someone who belonged to them restored. You've seen this man who was caught up in these tombs delivered from them. And they begged Jesus to leave the region. It's funny how when we begin to talk about lordship, so often in our hearts, we give Jesus the things that we don't care too much about. Worship just cost me an hour on Sunday morning. Worship just... and You can make whatever your laundry list is because all of our laundry lists flow differently. What happens when the very presence of Jesus begins to pierce the things that you don't want to let go of? We need you to leave because we can't live without our pigs and you've just wiped out a huge horde of them. And as he was getting in the boat, the man who was demon-possessed begged him earnestly that he might return with him. He may remain with him. Everyone else sees what Jesus has done and they say, this is going to cost us. And one man sees all that Jesus has done and says, this is worth it. This is worth it. There's a word that's run through the story. Do you notice it? It's the word beg. It's the word beg. The demons begged. They begged Jesus not to throw them into the water or do whatever to torment them. The, the, the society, the community, they begged Jesus. Jesus, just leave. Get out of here. This man begs Jesus... Let me stay with you. Let me stay with you. What are we asking of Jesus in regard to our relationship with him? Are we begging him to quit bothering us about things that matter to us more than they should? Are we begging and and pleading with Jesus... To take away the pain? Or are we looking at all that this life includes and begging Jesus, Jesus, this is tough, but I just want to stay with you. I want to stay with you. But Jesus does something. He sins. You see that in 17 through 20. Jesus did not let him, but he told him, You go home and go to your own people and you report to them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has shown mercy on you. For those of us who want to be with Jesus, who want to have a deep walk with Jesus, a strong relationship with Jesus, that's exactly what he tells us to do. That means this man's going to have conversations with those people who have just had their entire economy wiped out. That means that Jesus is going to 
that this man is going to spend time in the Decapolis, is what it says. That, that's this word used in the Bible. It's really this group of ten cities, and we're not sure what the ten are. We just know three of them. But you're going to go there to a people who don't know me, and you're going to tell them the magnificent thing that's been done. Well, what's the magnificent thing that's been done? We have the, the magnificent, overwhelming, incredible thing that's been done is this God who could say to the water, stop, and to a demon, leave. He has just met a man who was naked, bound, and isolated, shouting things that did not make any sense to anyone was, that was around. And he has said to him, let me make you whole. But as always when we read the Bible and we read it and see what's there, we see what's taking place here is even much more than that. Because this idea of Jesus meeting a demon-possessed man who was naked, bound, isolated, and shouting things that don't make sense, it's pointing to how Jesus will deliver ultimately. This micro-example of Jesus' deliverance is going to point to the macro-example from 50,000 feet of how he will deliver all of those who would call on his name. Because this man is naked, bound, isolated, and shouting things that don't make sense to anyone who hears. But we know, because we've seen the whole story, that at the end of Mark there will be another man. Another man who is naked, bound, all alone, isolated, shouting things that don't make sense to anyone who can hear because they are confused by his situation. He is naked and bound on a cross. He is isolated because his closest followers have left him. He is shouting things that make sense to no one who can hear other than the God in heaven, his Father. His body will be broken, torn, and shredded. Jesus came to share the pain that each of us go through. The demons of hell will use political conduits of Rome to do their worst to him. It will use, they will use Pilate, and they will use Caesar, and they will use Herod. And he will take the full blow of death and hell so that you and I can walk away from this free. Our hope is in that. That's what we are sent to say. That is what shapes us. That is what saves us. That is what says to sin, leave this one. Because He is our hope. He's our only hope. We continue to live in a world where we're praying that there's some vaccine and we're hoping that our masks work and we're wanting to look around and say, why can't the world be normal again? You have the same hope you had before all of this started and that is Christ naked, bound, isolated on the cross for your sake. Offering you hope and deliverance. Offering us freedom. Because he has taken the full blow of death and hell so that we can walk away free. That is God's promise to us. And in his resurrection, he has said, you live. Go sin. Go, go tell. Go, go say. So who are you telling? Who are you sent to? What are you saying? Do this with me this morning. I want you to bow your heads.
If you're here and you do not have a relationship with Jesus, I want you to know that we've looked at a unique story of Jesus telling demons to flee because that's the story of the way things are supposed to be. We've been given a window into the way things are supposed to be. Jesus reigning and ruling. If you've never trusted in Christ, I want you to know that there is an offer of a relationship with Him that is open to you this morning. If you feel isolated, Jesus was isolated. If you feel like your life is being torn in two, Jesus was physically torn in two. All of these things that you that we walk through, Jesus... He understands them. He's taken these things upon himself. And he offers you hope. He offers you salvation. And I pray that you would trust him. Now for those of you who are believers in Jesus. What are the things that Jesus is doing right now? That are causing you. To beg him to leave alone. he wants those things. He wants all of those things. Because there is nowhere that he goes where he does not reign and does not rule. And he is inviting you to quit giving him the things that you don't care too much about and hand over the things that you do. Lord, we trust you today. Lord, I trust you as I stand in this space and beg you to move among our people. God, remove the callous of our hearts. Remove the indifferences and the belief that we're right and everyone else is wrong. And let us live as people who believe that you're right. That you're right. You're right. Let us clothe ourselves with those things that look like you. And lay our lives down and say that we believe you above all things. We have a king and our king is good. We ask all this in your name, Lord Jesus. If you need me, I'm over in the right-hand corner of the room, back right-hand corner, my right hand. And I'd love to chat with you.